Welcome to the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. Thought-provoking interviews with interesting guests and commentary on everything. Food, sports, God, gardening, church, politics, music, movies, comedy, you name it, we talk about it. I'm Cody Stopper. And this is Craig Morton. On this podcast, we talk to writers, teachers, activists, and we seek some wisdom. And as always, we are allergic to big words, but not to big ideas. Profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. It's there. Sign that permission form. There it is. All right. Well, here we are. Craig, I'm calling from spring break. I don't know about you. Oh, I had spring break last week, so ah. I, I, I've done broken, and I'm now being repaired. You sprung broke, and now oh, okay. I got so sick last week. Um, <laughs> oh no! Great spring break, great practices with the kids. Uh, great, great uh, time out on the track. Carla and I went hiking. We went climbing up in the uh, near the Sawtooth Mountains, and on the way back to the valley, my head just exploded, and got to the doctor. And that sounds extreme. I'm on the mend. So, by the way, I'm Cody. And I'm Craig. <laughs> and today and we have a guest. With us today, a special guest. Yes, I'm excited. Uh, Forrest Clay, singer-songwriter. We're going to let Forrest intro, intro himself. Forrest, thanks for joining us. Yes, thank you. Uh, and good morning to you. It is afternoon for me here in Ohio. Oh, but, uh, Ohio. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Uh, yeah, my name is Forrest Clay. I go by Clay. Clay's my middle name. And uh, uh, I am from Ohio. I'm a singer-songwriter. And uh, been writing songs and singing them for, I don't know, a long time, 20 years. And uh, man, I don't even know where to start when someone says, who are you? I, I, uh, <laughs> who are you? <laughs> I, uh, I, I would call myself a, um, a singer-songwriter, formerly by trade, now by hobby. Uh, and uh, not by choice, though. Just, you know, that's life. And uh, came up in... Baptist churches, evangelical churches, um, served as a worship leader. I won't call myself a worship pastor, but was on staff at churches doing music uh, for, gosh, I don't know, 15 years. And then all through my early 20s, um, well, late teen years through my uh, early 30s. And then uh, sometime around, I don't know, what, 2015, I kind of slowly started to uh, deconstruct my faith. Um, and uh, kind of left the church that I was at uh, in 2016 and um, bounced around a few other churches uh, and no churches uh, for a while and um, spent a lot of time just reflecting um, and writing about, um, you know, the, the big bad word, my deconstruction, as uh, <laughs> John Cooper likes to put it. The scale. Oh, well, yeah. There and uh <laughs> And so I just, yeah, I just, I spent five years writing, uh, this album's EP, which is like six songs that kind of just is like, it kind of turned into my letter to the American church and, uh, wrote a lot of it during, um, the 2016 election cycle, uh, finished it in 2020 and then was able to, uh, put it out, um, just, uh, what, what is it? March? I put it out in October. So, um, it's been a long process and, 
but yeah, I'm really proud of it. And it is, um, kind of, you know, I think the, the peak of my work so far, I got a lot more songs coming, but, uh, it was, well, that's good, that's good to was, hear. So I yeah. heard you on the deconstructionists, uh, okay. sometime in the fall, mm-hmm. I was, I was driving, uh, from Tempe, Arizona to Boise, Idaho. Mm-hmm. And I think I was somewhere in the middle of U- uh, Southern Utah and I was listening to this podcast and I heard the song does God. Yeah. And, um, I have to warn you, I almost had to sue you for creating a car wreck because <laughs> I'm weeping so much. My eyes got bleary. I actually had to pull over. Mm. Um, so yeah, I would, I don't know if it's the pinnacle of your work. I'm looking forward to seeing more of what you've got in store, but yeah. that song just, I mean, some people say, you know, that slayed me. I mean, it actually took me out for a moment. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. And Craig shared it with me and then I, I had a similar I think we played it. We played a snippet on one of our episodes here. I yeah, think. we did. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And reacted to it. And boy, yeah, we had to, even in the middle of the recording, I was like, oh, hang on. Whoa. Yeah. Got me. Certain words when you just started singing them, I was like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> Hit me hard. Thank you. That was the, I think that was the final song I, I wrote for the EP. And um, I wrote it early, um, early 2020 is when I wrote it. We recorded it. Gosh, I don't even remember when we recorded it. Maybe it was 2019. It was before COVID. So it was probably summer of 2019 when I wrote it. Mm. And uh, it, uh, yeah, I think that was kind of like, it felt like, it's not the last song on the EP, but it felt like the final song I needed to write for the EP. Like that there was still some sort of um, hope or belief that even though I've let go of so much of my belief systems and structures, um, that if there was some sense of uh, call it like the doctrine I was brought up with, like that any, is there anything I can hold on to? And the thing that I could hold on to was that, um, that people are made in the image of God and you can kind of call the image of God, the Imago Dei, you can call it whatever you want. You know what I mean? The, the magic dust of the universe, but whatever you want to call it, it, it still grabs me. Um, and I felt like I had, I had to express that in some form or fashion to kind of finish the EP off. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. So, so how did, yeah, how did your deconstruction, uh, pilgrimage, uh, get initiated? Cause I, I mean, you're, you're, you're embedded in evangelicalism. Yes. Um, and for some people, it's and that's just, the beginning of it right there. I mean, it, it, it's, <laughs> perhaps. Yeah. But for some people, it's this mounting uh, piling on of small traumas. Mm-hmm. You know, for other people, it's this incredible kind of a cognitive dissonance and kind of an intellectual struggle. Yeah. And others, it may be just a, a, an, an event that is so traumatic. And how did or, how did or an election? That? happen yeah or, or an election yeah <laughs> yeah it, honestly, i think that's that a was... cognitive dissonance piece too yeah <laughs> for sure and and for me it was it was largely largely cognitive dissonance um i grew up very much being um i, I feel like i'm just a generally curious individual i don't know i just I, I like to know how things work um and i always even as a kid thought it was odd that um, you know, just the, the kind of the, what's the right word? It, the, the, how science and scripture were pitted against each other just always rubbed me the wrong way. Even, 
even when I believed what I was being told, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I okay, I'll accept this, but it, I'm really having to do some mental gymnastics to accept this. And then um, for me, the big, the turning point was, I don't know if you guys remember, uh, maybe 13, 14 years ago, there was these debates with Christopher Hitchens and John Lennox where they would just talk about science and theology and yada, yada. And I actually had a lot of respect for Hitchens at the time. I had read his books. Um, and they had this point where they agreed that humans were like roughly 150,000 years old. And that was like this moment. It was like the first time I heard a, someone who I considered a Christian just like without thinking twice, just like, oh, yeah, we're that's yeah. roughly the age. <laughs> Again, it was like it never was a it didn't strike him weird or he didn't bring up that people disagree. It was like, oh, yeah, 100,000, 125,000. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so that was the snowball down the hill for me. And I kind of went through every stage. It was really creation theology. That was that's what it was. And so I went through every stage of all the creation theology theories from old earth creationists to then like theistic evolution to to kind of whatever. I mean, I, it's something that I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about anymore. Right. Um, but that was, that was it. And then once I kind of realized, Oh, there's so much more complexity to the Bible than what I've been told. Then it became an academic deconstruction from that point on. And, and yes, the election was traumatizing. Um, I, I never felt like I was, um, I suffered any like spiritual abuse or anything other than, kind of like the doctrines that are abusive in their own rights. You know what I mean? Like uh, those kind of things um, were there. And I always had those traumas like everyone else does. Um, but I, I, for me, it was largely a, a deconstruction of, um, you know, just education. You know what I mean? Just like learning different people's points of views. And um, once I, started reading Pete N's books, my mind, that was it for me. Yeah. And, uh, and so, yeah, now I would probably call myself, um, on my good days, a, a Christ leaning spiritual agnostic. Right. So there went right. that certainty as soon as you read Pete N's and it felt yep. curious. I mean, it, good. it kind of really felt liberating. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, wow. Yes, that's interesting. So yeah, it, it sounded like um, a, a mixture. Was, I can remember for me, like a similar journey had had to do with moving away from home, actually, you know, like when I was <laughs> moved away to college and understood, hey, wait, there's lots of different ways to even just be a Christian, you know, like, whoa, yes. like, kind of like you're saying, like, yeah, there are people who believe that and still and think evolution is a way or, you know, or, or I met, you know, somebody who, um, in the little town that I grew up in, there weren't any open and affirming churches is heart of L LDS land. So mm -hmm. I moved to Portland and I actually got to meet people who were different and had different expressions and attractions and identities and still loved God. And I was like, wait a minute. Yep. This isn't what my parents told me. Uh, you're, you're a person, you're not evil. You love people. Uh, yeah. You look like God. You act like God. Yes. Yes. Yep. yep. Yes. So I echo have, all of that. Have you, you, you've, have, you've lived in Ohio your, your whole life. So you're uh, yeah, for, 
Yep. Yeah. I live in northern Ohio, kind of between Sandusky and Toledo and out in the country. What, one of the things that I was thinking about just as far as your, your pilgrimage story, kind of your, your, that, that intellectual curiosity, that path, um, and just what Cody was saying, and it reflects my own experience. Um, grew up in Arizona, went, I went to Pennsylvania, went to Kansas, went back to Pennsylvania, uh, went back to Kansas, and then came here. And in each stage, it was new communities of people with new ideas. And I was able to really continually deconstruct and reconstruct because I was in new communities that would be welcoming some of these new questions and new insights. Yes. For you, you're staying in one place largely mm-hmm. with a similar culture and a similar group. What have been the. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's a great observation. Um, it's a deep, deep red area um, that I'm in. Um, uh, we had just for an example, like, last week our two uh republican um state senator the guys that are running against each other they they both just have atrociously bad like almost cartoonish caricatures of themselves for their ads you know just like and and they literally got like nose to nose like in like a like a boxing match, like what the, at the weigh in of a boxing match. Right. I mean, they were like going at each other, yelling at each other. I mean, this is like, and, and one of these guys is going to get elected because the Republicans always do here. And just like buffoonery, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, <laughs> there's no exchange of ideas happening here. This is all just like male chauvinism and it gets votes. It's ridiculous. So, Yes, all, all of my deconstruction has taken place in um, a, a deeply conservative area. And so for me, finding um, a handful of friends who I can do this with has been just like life-saving. Um, and, and my wife has kind of gone down this path with me, which has been That's huge. Uh, yeah, massive. And, right. and so, um, yeah, it, it's, it's been, it has been, uh, it's been tricky for sure. Um, all of, you know, all of my family who I, I deeply love and have good relationships with are all still employed by the church that I left. Ooh. And so that, you know, the, there's just that dynamic. And, um, and so as I kind of pursue like re- releasing art that has to kind of do with these issues, um, it's always like a, a tightrope to walk for sure. So, so um, as you've gone through this, um, one of the things uh, that kind of going back to the kind of the cultural thing is what is the subculture of go-kart racing like? <laughs> so it's say something, a little something about that. Cause I have, okay. I have mental associations of what that subculture might be like. Sure. Yeah. Around yeah. here, it's, it's a reflection of uh, you know, the community. Um, for me, it's a lot of really kind and giving, gracious people um, who have helped me. I've been doing it maybe like 12, 12 or 13 years. Uh, and so I couldn't have done it. My, my dad was not like mechanical. Um, he's from Indianapolis, which is where my love of racing comes from. But um, he was a, you know, a teacher his whole life. And so not 
no mechanical bone in his body. So everything I had to do was self-taught and, or just finding people that would teach me. So in that sense, um, there are, there are people who I am friends with who, um, I have deep, deep political theological disagreements with who I would bend over backwards to help. And they have been over backwards and spent their money to help me with whatever I need help with. Uh, I don't weld. So, you know, that kind of stuff. Like I, I, I took a hit the last race of the year and cracked my frame. I got a buddy who just bring it over and we'll weld it back up. And then, you know, he's a fabricator by trade. And so that's what we'll make sure it's straight and all that kind of stuff. And so there is a, there's a deep subculture of political conservatism, um, you know, you show up to our, one of our races, somebody's going to have a let's go Brandon flag, uh, or worse. Uh, and that's just kind of part of that. Um, but I, I mean, there are a handful of people in that cult. One of, one of my very, very good friends now is someone I met through, uh, through racing. And, um, he's, you know, he's kind of, we see eye to eye on a lot of things. And so that's, that actually has made it more fun, um, and kind of given me someone to hang out with and, you know, kind of pick on other people to him <laughs> while we're at the racetrack. You see that guy? <laughs> Look at that. Like, yeah. I, I, you- I'm glad you brought it up that way. Cause I, that, I mean, there is something in my, my uh, assumptions about kind of the racing subculture mm. and that, and it kind of goes along with how you described it. On the other hand, I think one of the beautiful things that we find in a lot of different interactions, when I take myself out of my, professional church guy mentality and interact with different subgroups you find people who are willing to work together play together enjoy each other's company with the, whatever that common thing is even if it seems of little importance in the great you know global scheme of things for sure but it seems like that mutual interaction like the fellow who's you know doing the welding yeah that I, sometimes i don't i think we almost belittle the value of that kind of relationship right yeah Absolutely. Um, it's kind of one of those things where like, for me, uh, I'm in charge. I started this, uh, league and I don't, I won't take the next hour and a half talking about it because I would, <laughs> this, is, this is what I'm, you really want to get me worked up. I'll start talking about racing. Um, so I, I'm in charge of this league that we created about, uh, five or six years ago. Um, go-kart racing is very expensive. And so, a few of us got together and we said, how do we just have fun with this? And so we created this league where we only race on backyard tracks. And so we had about two or three tracks and they were like legit racetracks. Um, and we would have like eight to 10 guys show up and, um, you know, our motor rules kind of evolved and et cetera, et cetera. And it's kind of grown. And, and now we have like a nine race point series. It starts in three weeks and it goes all the way through mid November. Um, and, and I do like maybe 12 to 13 races a year, basically is what I do. Um, and then my son, my 10 year old races now, and he does about 25 races a year. Wow. And so he, um, yeah. And it's, so it's very expensive. And so we just kind of created this like alternative subculture to like the racing scene where it's like, Hey, when you come race with us, there's, we get sponsors that cover trophies and porta potties and stickers and all that kind of stuff. And there is no entry fee. And there's no purse. So wow. it's all free. There's no pit pass money. There's literally no money will be exchanged, period. And um, and so what we've kind of built is this um, this league we call the Idiot Series. And um, 
it has grown into now our normal races. We're drawing 30 to 35 go-karts and we have a big race at the end of the year um, in November. That's our last race of the season. That's kind of like our Daytona 500. And we drew 73 go-karts. We had people wow. all over the Midwest coming to race this race. And, um, and I'm in charge. And so I have to walk this delicate line of like, uh, COVID was a big one. Yeah. When COVID shut everything down, I had to go, I'm in charge of all these people who don't even think it's real. Right. How do I navigate? <laughs> um, like how do, are we going to, and so I basically convinced people to just like, let's push back the start of our season, et cetera. And we did that. And you know, people got mad at me or whatever, but, uh, that's kind of, I, I have to be careful because of like I, my political and no one's really religious. I, there's no, I wouldn't call any of these people like conservative Christians they are just more conservative politically. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that's just like a fine line to walk. You know what I mean? Uh, and I don't, I don't probably always do it. Uh, I, you know, I probably don't speak up as much as I should when I hear things that, you know, are, are, are terrible. Yeah. And that's probably on me. And it's just kind of like a pick, pick your battles type of situation. Yeah. It's a that's really kind balance. of a cool backstory. I mean, that's, I, you know, we, not too long ago, well, a couple of years ago now, we had a, uh, a guest who uh, created a volleyball league mm-hmm. and, you know, she was the, the, the volleyball czar in, in, in Denver area. <laughs> and yeah, there is this, this fine line you walk. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. A- absolutely. Um, just the other day. So I have a, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the race car driver, Bubba Wallace, who's like the only black driver in NASCAR. He is by far the most hated race car driver, uh, that there is right now in among these circles. And so I had to go over to a friend's house, um, to get something welded. And I had on not by, I had on my Bubba Wallace, black lives matter (laughs) t-shirt. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to go put on a different shirt just because that's not a battle I want to have right right now. Sorry, Bubba. I love you, but that's just not, it's kind of one of those things. And maybe I shouldn't have, I don't know. Yeah. I'm a work in progress. I well, there's, it reminds me, I mean, okay, so there's an idea of like, if you can somehow get beyond it, because that's like bumper sticker stuff. I mean, right. it's, it is important for people to know where you stand and who you are and all those things. But once you get past that, so I have a neighbor across the street who is exactly as you're describing, fit in well with your, <clears throat> with the, uh, the, the, the crew there sure. and puts signs in his yard, you know, all this flags, all these kind of things. And every day I'm walking by, I'm like rolling my eyes. And yet at the same time, we bring each other food when, so his yep. wife has had surgery. We bring her them food when we had stuff going on, they bring us food and, it's like, if I can, I, you know, and we have genuine conversations from time to time that do way more um, yeah. than wearing the shirts or the <laughs> the signs in the yard and all those kinds of things. For sure. And that's, I've had that same experience. People, once you really start talking to people um, and kind of getting underneath the, that layer of like, you know, this is, this is what side I'm on. People yeah. are, pe- people are people. And yeah. Um, most people, not all, but most people I think do have, are capable of empathy for other human beings yep. and they just have to be exposed to the story in the right way. Yep. And, and, and that's found to be true. Even though I don't, you know, even if I make the decision not to 
wear my shirt in front of him and all those things is what's funny is we both know where we, each other stands. Like he, yes. I, I, because of the science, but also he wouldn't, cause we, because of the conversations that we've been able to have, he knows that I'm like, Oh, you know, he probably isn't cool with me calling uh, people libtards. And so I won't be calling him. So I won't be using that around him. Like, okay, yes. All right. You know, For and sure. we just go from there. <laughs> yeah. 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 For sure. Absolutely. So moving moving back toward toward music, um, mm-hmm. do, well, does does this kind of um, standing in two worlds does that affect the way that you uh, songwrite? I mean, uh, like, who are you communicating, or is it mo- mainly your own personal story? Or yeah, I don't know. I don't think um, I don't think the two. That's a good question. <laughs> I've never really thought about it like that. I I think. Uh, from a songwriting perspective, I'm not thinking about, um, you know, I'm not thinking about go-kart racing while I write songs. I'm not thinking about what that crowd okay. is going to think of my music because most of them probably don't know that I'm a musician. Some of them do. You know what I mean? The ones that was, that was my other thought was like, yeah. yeah, some of them, some of them certainly do. Um, you know, I've told people, uh, you know, I make my living now just being a cover musician at, bars and wineries on friday saturday night so like why can't you race saturday night well i got a gig so we only race on sundays like um and they're like oh you're a musician so there's kind of that element but like as a songwriter yeah that songwriting to me is more something that is kind of deeply personal and reflective and um i i try not to think about what anyone will think about the songs as i'm writing it i'm really trying to express um the truest version of the feeling or emotion or sentiment that I am trying to express, whatever that truest version is. Um, Maybe the lone exception would be like, um, I have kind of a backlog of, uh, you know, of love songs that I've written. I've been married uh, 15 years. We had our 15th anniversary on Thursday. Oh, congratulations. And, uh, And so I have kind of like a backlog of love songs that I've never recorded that I'm, I'm kind of starting um just we just started kind of recording the first song and it's gonna be maybe five or six songs so that maybe the only exception is like what is she going to think of these songs <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, but other than that um i yeah i really i really just try to to grab the story um and express it in its truest sense mm. but it it it's uh your your songwriting strikes me as that yeah it's more of a personal um, almost like a diary or your own journal, you know, expressing your own experiences or things you've witnessed. But at the same time, it seems uh, artists who do that also have sometimes an amazing appeal because they're touching something that's a little bit more universal. Yes. Rather than targeting, you know, like a niche audience or something like that. Yeah. And, and I've struggled with that as well. Like, cause I feel like, um, you know, as many people, as there are that have gone through like a faith deconstruction, it still is a very, you know, niche crowd. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I feel like, you know, my songs have been used on most of the biggest, uh, you know, deconstruction style podcasts. And, and my plays are still very, very low. You know what I mean? Like it's, not, <laughs> it's not like it's helping me all that much. Um, 
I love it. And I'm so appreciative, you know, of when people like you have me on to talk about it. But as far as like, does it help my plays? I don't know. Yeah, so we just still need to get the word out there. I'm just looking at your your Spotify. It says uh, 145 yeah. monthly listeners. So we need to yeah. see if we can like give that yeah. a boost. And that would be great. That <laughs> would be great. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, that's that's all part of it. And for me, uh, a song, or, for me, song, I've kind of given up all hope of, and maybe this is, to um you know dark sounding but I, I don't have any like notions of making a living again I, i've i've been trying to do it for so long right um i had a record deal uh in 2008 with warner brothers records and it was a disaster and you just generally don't get those chances twice and so kind of like i don't have any notions of going like oh i'm gonna pay my bills uh, by writing songs and releasing music my my goal is to just like have a big enough listenership where i can like just keep making more content because <laughs> that's what i love i love the writing process i love the recording process um and that's what brings me kind of brings me to life and the, you know the gigs on the weekends to me that's just work that's i don't I'm thankful that I don't have to have a real job for right. sure. And I kind of tell people this, like, I hate complaining about this because I get to be a stay at home dad. Uh, but I, you know, that to me is um, it's that's work. The What brings me to life is the process, the writing and the creative process. And so, yeah, my my goal would be just to get uh, if I could if I could just afford to make more music, that would be happy. I'd be happy. <laughs> I have a, a, a friend, a local musician who. Um, he said on, at least on Pandora, he gets paid an incremental amount per listen. Yep. And um, he, I said, well, what would happen if I just turned on Pandora and walked away and let's just play it on repeat all day? But would that help? And he kind of went, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's a big, that is a big problem. I mean, if you want to talk about the business side of it, like most musicians, myself included, we really don't know how all of this works. You know, it's like yeah. a, we're creative types. We're not people that are um, studying like music law and publishing law. And right. um, if we know it, it's because we were forced into a situation where we had to know. Um, and I've been there. And I, it seems Bandcamp's closest to being a, a musician's cooperative that way. Yeah, but. that's the biggest one. Um, and I'm, you know, I people when people buy my stuff on Bandcamp, I'm, you know, elated. And yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've had. I can't tell you how many checks. I've gotten the mail for less than a dollar. <laughs> many, 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 uh, many. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. Well, speaking of your your hobby of uh, being a musician, <laughs> yes. uh, so how would you describe the in a sentence or two? What what is the theme of mm. the EP? You know. Um, yeah. So this re- EP recovery EP is to me it, it is my letter to the American Church. Um, and 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 also my experience um leaving it you know and um it it like i said i wrote it over like four years and it's only six songs it wasn't something that i was like working on every day it it was like the moments that impacted me the most is when i had to go kind of write something down um you know, there's not a song on that EP that I didn't cry my way through writing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, um, it's, I would not call it a happy record. 
you know it's mm-hmm. it's an expression of pain yeah. um you know there are hopeful moments in it for sure and i was uh i was uh i, I did that on purpose you know because i have i do have hopeful moments um but i don't uh i would not call it a happy record it, it's it's an expression of the things that I witnessed and I saw and, and relationships I had and um, other people who were uh, traumatized more than I, I was trying to do my best to tell their story. Are, are there uh, particular songs that you would like to like talk about or highlight um, in our conversation? Yeah. So recover is the title track in the, the first single um, in it to me was probably actually the first song I wrote for the EP. And that was, um, I wrote that song in during the election cycle of 2016. So before the election. And um, as I was kind of like going through this process of like, of leaving my employer, which, um, you know, brought all sorts of obviously uh, personal, you know, pain, um, but also, uh, you know, financial <laughs> trauma. Cause I left this steady job and, and part of that pain too was, you know, I had been in this band for, um, seven or eight years and had been, you know, my wife is a, a multiple disabilities teacher. She is my hero. It is an incredible, incredibly difficult job. And, and she did that while I was bouncing around the country, um, you know, touring, making next to nothing, being gone for, you know, two to three weeks at a time and, um, coming home broker than when I left. And, um, so I finally had worked my way into this job at this church where I, I mean, we would have been all set, you know, it was, um, a very, very good paying job and, uh, not a difficult job. And that's, <laughs> within just a few months of me getting that opportunity is when it all started to crumble for me. And, uh, and so kind of all of those emotions kind of came out in the song recover. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, cue it up. And um, if there's a place you go, you don't want us to fade out or you want to listen to the whole thing, we can do whatever you want. It's your song. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Thank you. Deconstructed these walls and I found a business Where the company line was the only way to get paid We built a church uncertainty that fears everything
myself in your pews every single week And I gave you my money so that you would tell me what to for writing it and recording it that is <clears throat> amazing in a lot of different ways in my mind i can see all those different things taking place and the lining out of these kind of economic exchanges mm. and the turning of a phrase of something that's hopeful and redemptive into something that's exclusionary and and destructive 
taking up the cross, reaching across the aisle, love who you want. And each of those things are turned against itself. It's yeah. Just, um, yeah. What I was thinking of as I was listening to it, you know, so Craig, I, maybe you can echo this too as a pastor, but how many weeks or how many times I've been in the week just being like, you know, is this <laughs> like, am I as a leader of a, a church, am I adding to this type of situation? Is it better to be away from this role or is it good for me to be in this role because I can help a church recover, you mm-hmm. know, in this sense, or is it better to just walk away? Because, you know, there's always that like, Hey, if I go full bore into what I, into the depths of what I really believe, will I lose my job Yes, or, you know what I mean? But <laughs> I thankfully actually I've been in here lately in the last eight years, a much more open type of community that is appreciative of wrestling and struggling and working through doubts. But I tell you, most of my career has been like, okay, how much of this do I actually pepper in because I, or do I just walk away? Is that a more faithful witness? I don't know. Yeah. 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 That is a, it's a tightrope. And I, I sometimes, I know that, Perhaps the reason that I have a small congregation <laughs> is because I, I don't hold back on some of those things. Uh, yet, on the other hand, many of the folks who are, find uh, um, a home in our congregation are folks who have gone through these experiences yep. and traumatic experiences in church. And at one point, uh, uh, my wife, Carla, who's our, my, you know, the co-pastor, our co-pastor, um, she described it as we're, we're, we're a bunch of refugees, people yeah. who've been broken from churches and church experiences and are coming and finding healing. And when yeah. that healing seems to have taken place, people move on. And, and that's, that's, that's good. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, yep. Uh, yeah. I, yeah. I've gone through that. I'm, I wrestle with that constantly too. So I'm, I'm actually at a United Methodist church right now myself. And um, Ooh, you know what we're going through. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You're not alone, I tell you. <laughs> and and again, in a deeply red area. Mm. And um, so my so my pastor and I, we have these conversations all the time. So long story short, I was uh I kind of got asked to do this maybe a little over two years ago. Um and I at the time I had made up my mind, no, I'm not doing this. I'm never doing a doing church work again, but I'm also always like, I need to make a dollar. Um, and so the guy was like, you know, we'll pay you 50 bucks a Sunday. You show up, you do two to three songs and you go home and that's all it is. And I'm like, man, I, you know, that means one last night delivering pizza. You know what I mean? (laughs) I, I could probably make this happen. And so I was there for, six months that pastor left and I thought maybe, maybe I should just leave now too. new pastor comes in, becomes one of my best friends. Um, he's, I think he's probably 40. Um, and so the church itself is, is probably around 150 people. Um, I would say 120 of them are probably over the age of 65. Mm. Um, and so I, they do two services. I do like a, you know, quote unquote contemporary service, at eight 30 on Sunday mornings. And I do three songs. Um, and I do very, very little to prepare for the service other than just pick what songs I'm going to play. And that's 
anytime they've asked me to do more, I, no, I'm good. This is all I want to do. But the angle for me has been like, um, I do get to kind of like talk a little bit if I want to. Um, my the pastor and I, we, you know, we're, we're very open with each other on like where we're at and I can be completely transparent with him. And, um, he respects that. And most of the time agrees with me. <laughs> and, uh, and so for us, we are, you know, we're and him specifically dealing with a congregation of, of mostly older conservative people, um, who, you know, really like the theology in the United Methodist Church where we are, it's 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 not that much different from like what I would call an evangelical church in the sense of like they they are they have only ever been exposed to like penal substitutionary atonement. We we have since I've been there, that's never been brought up one time ever. You know what I mean? Um, very much focused on the love of God and the betterment of the community around you. And that's all the things I can get behind. Um but I have shared from the stage a few times um, some of like the religious trauma I've gone through. And the way I kind of look at that is like, these people don't listen to podcasts. You know what I mean? They're, I am probably their only exposure to someone who's been harmed by the system. And how do I, how do I like express that in a way that will leave their hearts open to it? Um, and as we've kind of like walked the tightrope with LGBTQ issues and so on, um, you know, that's just a, it's, it's delicate and you know what I mean? And um, so for me, like using, I, I don't generally play like any original music at, at services, but like I've, I've played does God at a service before when the moment called for it, you know, mm. and um, those types of things, I think, generally are impactful for this, you know, older conservative community. And I've only ever been received with like warmth and thanks. And, um, and so that's, it's been a kind of a thing where it's like, if you ask me Saturday night, if I want to get up and do church the next morning, my answer will 99% of the time be no, but me then too. Yeah. Every, <laughs> you know, generally as I'm leaving church, I'm like, yeah, it was a good son. It was, yeah, was yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, that's good. So, so, so just, just what you just explained. I mean, it's interesting to think about that. I, I, I was listening earlier today, the song you must go. Hmm. And it's this, um, somebody who says the things that you were just describing, well, you, you've got to go. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's, how does it feel to have the other side of that experience? Like, Oh, you're okay. You can hang around. Yeah. You know what? That's, it was uh, terrifying at first because you're just waiting for the shoe to drop. Yep. And I, yep. I've said things um, I've said things like kind of in one of my post sermon uh, rants or whatever, um, <laughs> where I go, Ooh, maybe that was too far. Maybe maybe calling the you know, um, you know american economic system antichrist is too far <laughs> and uh, you know uh, and and the pastor's always like nah you're good you know what that's, i mean <laughs> yeah that's yeah. good yeah. and so it's like oh okay well even if i do go too far the, uh, it's fine you know what i mean like there's forgiveness there and we'll talk about it and we'll move on and uh so that's been very refreshing mm. for sure yes one thing that makes me think of okay craig remember uh our last uh guest 
Sonia used the phrase, um, former assimilators make the best, best translators. And mm -hmm. so I'm thinking of Clay here, not as a former assimilator, but somebody who was in the system was hurt by it, but not, and, and as he mentioned, not, not like other people have been like uh, severe mm -hmm. trauma. Okay. <laughs> so it's almost as like, it's almost as if like, okay, it would be improper. It'd be wrong. It'd be harmful to ask people who've been so harmed by the system in that way to come back and try to help, you know, recover yes. in this sense. Right. But somebody like Clay, somebody like me, who maybe minor, you know, I would, I don't even want to use it. Labels are bad, but you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Trauma that you can it's still. A, it's a place where the, the risk of re-victimization is not as go. extreme. But to come as, and then to point to, and, and to be that person to be like, Hey, um, here's what's going on. You need to be, you need to hear and be aware of it. And we can, let's, we can recover, but you've got to be willing to hear stories of people like, Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that's, I, I've witnessed that one of the churches I left kind of after I left my big evangel evangelical church, I spent like a year at this church, made friends with the pastor. We, we became good friends, stayed good friends, but I, I just couldn't stay at, in that. It still was a little too yep. evangelical ish for me, yep. even though um, that, even though I got along with the pastor very well and could be very open with them. And so we had, coffee we caught up for coffee uh, like two weeks ago and and he had just finally left and mm. um his he and his wife basically they're done they're just like they're in that they're in that moment you know yeah. what i mean wow. where they they had spent a year and a half kind of just being like spiritually abused by their um he he just he described their board as like a board full of Mark Driscoll's. Oh. <laughs> Holy Ooh. hell, dude. How did you last Ooh, yeah. that long? No, oh, and, and so, <laughs> you know, so he left and the church split and it was just like this big mess. And he's going, I, you know, like, we're going to just, if we do church again, it'll just be out of our house, like sharing meals with people. And like, I don't ever see us going back on a Sunday. And to me, like, that's, that's fantastic. Like yeah. it's, yeah reintegration into church culture is not for everyone. And then there are people, there are plenty of people like me who, who kind of got dragged in because we have to figure out a way to pay the bills. <laughs> <laughs> we have to walk this tightrope. I'm like, yeah. where you're every week you're getting up there going, is it, is it, is it more honest of me to just walk away entirely? But again, I have, I have three kids. Like I have right. to, I have to like, and there's all these things that there's no good answers for. Yep. It's a constant struggle. And some Sundays are going to be like, I think I'm done. I, I've kind of said in my head, like if our current pastor ever moves on or gets moved by like the district or whatever, that right. I would yep. take that opportunity to just be yep. done as well. Sure. And, and I don't know that I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah. Um, but I don't see myself doing church music forever for sure. I don't see myself doing church music again after this current job. You know what I mean? Um, but that doesn't mean there's not these beautiful moments that we exactly. share together as a community. And I, I'm at the point where like, if it works for you and it brings um, like a richness and a joy to you and it, and it makes your community better and it brings life to your family and your community then I'm, I'm all for it. Um, but I'm not, I'm not for belief systems that exclude people that harm people that tell people they're 
they're less than or that they've failed God in some way. Um, and anytime I see those things kind of creep up, um, you know, that's when I'm out. I yeah. love it. Yeah. You know, yeah. Clay, I know you're walking away from, or you know what I mean? You're not, but us pastors might use the term redeeming the time that you, yeah. that you're, <laughs> you're redeeming that time. Like I, I'm here. So while I'm doing it, I might as well help some folks sure. learn to be less of, you know, like, Hey, you, you're dangerously close to being a part of an abusive system. Let's let's not. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know what I mean. And that's a that's a really that's a really great way to put it. Is that, and, and this is a conversation I have with my pastor all the time. You know, he just we. I don't know if you guys seen that Hillsong documentary that's on Discovery. Yeah, just finished um, watching it. It's okay. I'm like halfway through episode. Oh. My wife fell asleep last night, so I'm like halfway through episode two. Yeah. Um, and you know, even on these smaller scales, I mean, though, these type of situations are everywhere. Yeah. Uh, they're all <laughs> over the place. Um, and I got, and I got wrapped up in it and my, uh, it, it, that's the culture of it, you know? And when you come to a church, like I'm at now, there's like, you kind of start to see the, the warning signs and you want to be able to like guide people away from yeah. that. Yep. But all of those reasons are the reason your church will never get bigger than 150. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And you got to be okay with that. You got to be okay. You with have that. to be okay with that. Yep. You have to be okay with, uh, you know, giving a sermon on Sunday morning and delivering pizza on Sunday night. You that's, have to amen. Be, it's just, the, <laughs> that's just the way it is. Amen. Amen. And that's why I'm a track coach and a professor. <laughs> that's right. That's right. right. That's why I worked produce for a long, for a, yeah. a number of years at a grocery yeah, store. I've been, yeah. I've been actually, of all the jobs I've had, uh, I've been a part-time pizza guy for the last six years. And I cannot, of all, all the jobs, and I delivered pizza. I don't, I do it like maybe one, two nights a week now. Um, and not even on weekends anymore because I usually gigging. But like I'll, I went in, I did four and a half hours last night. And that, I can just sit and catch up on podcasts. Yep. I have, don't tell my wife this. I have three kids. It's a vacation for me. You know what I mean? Like, I get to go sit in the car for four hours by myself. Yes, please. Amen. And, oh, yeah. But I mean, that I went right from, you know, my evangelical church into just delivering pizzas um, within like a three month time period. And the amount of audiobooks and podcasts I was able to burn through doing that um, is a, to me was like one of the biggest privileges awesome. of my life because that was, that was when I did it. And I, I can't tell you how many times I would, uh, you know, be reading a book or whatever and just in tears walking up to some guy with a pizza. I'm like, why, why is my pizza guy crying? I'm sorry. My world's falling apart. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my, the entire structure of, belief system that i've believed my whole life is falling apart piece by piece here's your pizza here's your pepperoni <laughs> oh man well that's great oh clay okay, let, so let, let me get let me give you a plug for an audiobook if you haven't listened to it already okay. just because yeah, the please. audio version is stellar is um brandy carlisle's memoir yeah. oh yes okay i will add that to the list for oh. sure because I mean, audiobook, you know, people do their narrate their own and that's cool. But at the end of each chapter, she plays at least one or two songs about that chapter. All and right, and it in. includes at the end in the appendix, an hour and 45 minutes of her music. So right. that's uh, awesome. Yeah, I'm going to go buy that right now. And the stories amazing. that she tells go so uh, hand in hand with the conversation we've been having. 
Yeah. That's awesome. This is gorgeous. Beautiful. Oh. All right. Well, that kind of leads us to Clay. We have every time we have a guest on, we finish with big the big five. Five questions. Okay. Hot seat. You're on the hot All seat. Right. All right, let's do it. All right. Here we go. Question number one. Okay. What are you drinking? Okay. So it's like your go-to drink. It can be what you're drinking right now if you want to share that with us. Oh. Or like, hey, like you've got to try this drink. Ooh. Um, can this be adult drinks? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. We're, yeah we're- <laughs> right now I'm drinking water. Uh, my friend Mark, who does all the string work for my uh, music, he uh, he got me into Basil Hayden's. And I really like a Basil Hayden's rye, which is not not too uh, hard on the wallet, but but delicious. Ooh, so I, I've been Basil drinking Hayden's some Basil Hayden's a lot. I got to look that one up. All right. Oh, so. Yep. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. What are you reading? It could be a book. It could be a, a, a blog. It could be mm-hmm. an essay you think we should check out. It's <clears throat> a good question. Um, I have been reading um, a little bit. Honestly, I'm, I would call myself in between books. I have a stack of books. Um, my friend, uh, the one I just started, my friend uh, Glenn uh, Siepert from the What If podcast, he just released a book. Ooh. So I just started his book. Um, and uh, I, so I'm in between audiobooks right now, but I, I'll, I'll plug my friend Glenn's book and I'm a, I'm a chapter into that and enjoying it uh, immensely. Oh, awesome. What's it called again? Uh, yes, I can look that up real really fast <laughs> <laughs> i told Blended. you to be on the hot seat. i'll plug his podcast it's the, it's called the what if podcast what if podcast love it all right well you're looking for the book the next question yep. is and maybe you just answered this what are you watching so it can be what are you streaming on netflix or binging okay. what's a good youtube channel you mm-hmm. want to you think we should check out or a movie that you hey you like yes. people need to watch this Okay, I have been watching uh, Severance on Apple TV, um, and it uh, it is the the prem- It's got Christopher Walken and John Turturro, Ooh. and um, Adam Scott is the main character, and it is a uh, sci-fi show where these people work at this corporation, and they get what's called severed, meaning that their uh, consciousnesses uh, when they go to work and leave work are separated. So when they're at work, they have no idea who they are or where they're from outside of work. Oh my goodness. And vice versa. And so obviously this corporation is up to no good. And Christopher Walken is in it and he is fantastic. Oh wow. Um and the season finale of season one comes out on Friday. And that and John Turturro is an underrated that, that sounds like episode oh, he's two. So good. That sounds like episode two of the uh, Discovery uh, Channel uh, thing <laughs> yes. you're watching. Yes, that's what I thought you were going to say. That's what I thought you were going to yes. say because you brought it up. Yes, okay, I've watched cool. that. And I also yeah. watched. I love. I absolutely loved Station Eleven on HBO Max this year. That was my favorite miniseries. Oh, wow. so okay. far, it's Mark, okay. Oh, yeah, the, the short year, but yeah. yeah. Okay, <laughs> so what? Um, what are we doing? Okay, what are you listening to? So it can be new music or old mm. music you want to share it could be a podcast but you already mentioned a podcast so and, and an audiobook so yes. now we're going to stick to music what, music, you, okay. what, are, you, what are you listening I, to i'll say this i i do listen to a lot of music but i also have uh eight eight ten year old boys eight and ten year old boys <laughs> yeah. so my spotify algorithm is just completely jacked up <laughs> i know that <laughs> i just like a month ago i just spent the extra three dollars a month for the split 
account because <laughs> it was just messing up my algorithm so bad. Mm-hmm. Um, no, but so my I'll say my favorite record of last year, the la- the last record that I just fell in love with was the um, the last Killers record. Ah, that nice. I I loved. I absolutely loved that record. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. Final question. This is it. Question number five. And this one might have repercussions. Okay. So, Clay. Mm. Can we can we say, Cody, that it can't be pizza? Oh. Okay. <laughs> Craig, oh don't tip my hand. <laughs> I'm tipping. Okay. <laughs> Craig and I show up at your doorstep. Mm. Where are you taking us for dinner? Okay. So, I live, I live in uh, Clyde. Ohio. You can look this up. Population four thousand, and uh, the town next to us is uh, Fremont, Ohio, uh, home of NFL Hall of Famer Charles Woodson. Hey, and, awesome! Yes. And so he, uh, or that's like maybe seventeen, eighteen thousand. So I will say this: I will plug uh, if you're go- if we're staying local, we are going to uh, a place called Jimmy G's Barbecue in mm-hmm. Fremont. Um, and I, I spent a couple months working there right shortly after my, uh, church gig. And, uh, I, I've, I've toured the country. I've had barbecue all over the place. Uh, I've been, I've been all over Memphis, Texas, Kansas city, St. Louis. Uh, I've had some amazing barbecue and I'll just say Fremont, Ohio's Jimmy G's barbecue. It hangs, it hangs in there. Oh, with that is awesome. All right. That's good. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Oh, I love it. Jimmy G's Fremont. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Well, you need to come okay. out of the Pacific Northwest and see if we got a good barbecue because Cody, Cody got a new grill last year. So I got a smoker. All right. Yeah. I'm I will not stack myself up against those people, <laughs> but <laughs> I put out some all right food. All right. Yeah, I, all I right. make some pretty awesome smoked trout. So Ooh, Ooh, I can yeah, for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that would be amazing. Hey, my all friend right. Glenn's book, it's called Rethinking Everything. Rethinking everything, Glenn. Okay, and the What If podcast. Okay, that's awesome. That sounds great. Okay, all right. You survived the hot seat question. All right, there you go. Awesome. Well, beautiful. Thank you so much, Clay, for joining us today and sharing a bit about your journey, your music, a little bit about some go kart racing. Oh yeah, you're lucky I I didn't talk more about it. Maybe that'll be on our other podcast. Yes, well, we do like to have repeat and return guests. So all right, heads up. Maybe all right <laughs> it's so good to meet you thanks clay for your yes. time thank you so much and thank you for your music by the way yes yeah. thank you oh, I appreciate it. so good so good all right all right see you later all right thank adios you. yep bring break here i come <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining cody stoffer and me craig morton for this podcast we simply try to record and upload without much editing What you get is live conversation with all its ignorance and insight, wisdom, and foolishness, sometimes more of one than the other, and occasionally profound things will be said, but entirely by accident. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at the All That's Holy Blue Collar Podcast. We'd love to hear from you, so leave a comment. And look for upcoming Facebook Live podcasts where you can interact with our guests. Also, we can be found on Twitter as at All That's Holy, our intro and outro music is by At the Speed of Darkness. Support At the Speed of Darkness on Bandcamp and buy his music there, as well as follow him on Instagram at At the Speed of Darkness. 